All right, we're looking at Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we're going to put a pause at, after tonight. We're going to put a pause for time on the uh, study through Exodus, and we're going to go through the book of Job, at least get started for a good while on Job, and go from there. And Exodus chapter 20, it says in verse 1, and then we're going to 18. And God spake all these words, saying, we have the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, 18, now is the response, and that's the response of the commandments. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou to us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. For God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold, an altar of earth that thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thy oxen, and all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. If thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thine nakedness be not discovered thereon. May the Lord raise a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, help me this evening as I speak. I would say nothing amiss. And as we consider this, Lord, I want all of us to consider tonight, as, this, as we get ready to pause Exodus for a little while, that are, am I obeying? What is my response to the commands that you have given to us? Am I obeying? Am I thinking about them? Am I living my life in light of what we know the Bible says for us to do? And so, Lord, speak through me. Forgive me of sin. Enter me of self. And please fill me with your spirit this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're taking down an outline, two big points, the people and the provision. Under the people, we see then in 18 and 21, we see the people and there's separating. They, verse 18, and the people saw the thunderings and lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And in 21, the people stood afar off. Now, this, the, this is the divine delivery of the Decalogue. Listen, I was looking this afternoon. Are we to obey the commands or what, do people obey the Ten Commandments? Is what I think I typed into Google. And it gave me all the reasons, all the people who are saying what commands we should obey. Some are, well, if it doesn't clearly say so in the New Testament, we don't have to obey it. Now, but the one thing they were clear on is this has been reiterated in the New Testament except for the obeying the Sabbath. We know we, we worship together now on the first day of the week and not on the Sabbath day. But we do have a day set aside to worship God, Sabbath for the Jews. Today it's the first day of the week. Matter of fact, we call it Sunday. We have often called this the weekend. That's a misnomer. We are starting the week right now. This is, we're starting our week in the right place. I really would tell you, I believe as a Christian, you're in the right place in God's house on his day, worshiping him. That is our goal. And by the way, the worship service has been going on. We're just now getting, we're leading a late start, if you want to call it. But, and when we're done, the worship service is going to continue on in heaven. And someday we will see that service, I believe. Won't that be amazing to see the antiphonal choir uh, of the angels? Holy, holy, holy. Why do we get the antiphonal? Antiphonal is like one, one sings, one responds. 
We do it. We call it, uh, we call it responsive reading sometimes. I will read a verse, and you read a verse. I read a verse, and you read a verse. They sing holy, holy, holy. They sing holy, holy, holy. And that, Can you imagine what it's going to sound like? It's going to be, wow! Isn't that going to be exciting? I trust you're excited about something like that. So the Decalogue's been delivered. Now they said, first of all, in chapter 19, verse 8, when Moses said, are you going to listen or are you going to obey? 19, verse 8, and all the people answered together, accepting the covenant, and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Wow, now that's a great response. All the Lord has spoken, we are going to do. That was Israel's response. Now, responding to Moses is one thing, but now they've experienced a close encounter of the God kind, someone has said. A theophany, more accurately, a verbal word from God. Did they see the Father? No, they didn't see God, but they certainly saw the special effects from God, the thunderings and the lightnings. And by the way, had I been there, I probably would have stood a far off, stepped a few steps back myself, I don't think anyone went to sleep during the sermon that God was giving when he was on there and coming down. I'm not boohooing going to sleep during the message. I know sometimes it's, just, it's hard to stay awake. I understand that. God had their attention. But, but down the road, they don't quite follow through. It's interesting. The subsequent course of Israelites is an emotional response. And see, we will, we'll have a message now, and I've thought about this myself, my invitations time for our church. We'll call it our invitation times. I don't pull on your emotions. I really do not do that. I give you opportunity. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, you need to come and respond. I'm not going to have 10,000 verses. Of, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to go over and over just to try to get you to emotionally respond. You need to intellectually respond. Now, do we have emotions? Yes. I feel convicted of sin. If you feel convicted of sin, come and pray. If the Lord's led you to do that, come and pray. I think we've gone to our church, we've sort of gone to the side, we're just afraid if we go up what people are going to say. Don't worry about what people say. If you want to come to the altar or sit on the front pew and pray during invitation time, come. Come on. Perhaps someone's waiting for someone to come forward first before they venture out. We have unsaved people that come to our services, especially on Sunday mornings, near almost every Sunday. I believe By the way, in a group our size, there are several probably who do not go Christ as personal Savior. Every single service that we have, there's there's some anyway. Statistics say that that I hope I hope I trust that all of you here this this evening truly know Christ as Savior. If you do not, you need to get that settled. Who are you trusting today? Who are you trusting today? The Bible says in Proverbs, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When we understand who God is, we're going to depart from evil. In verse 20, the first fear there in verse 20 was, and Moses said unto the people, fear not. Now that's the, that's the shaking fear. Perhaps the people were began to shake. You can't see it clearly in the text, but I imagine if there's this fear of God, then they're stepping back and they're going afar off, they probably would shake. If the ground is shaking, now I've never been through an earthquake, don't want to, it's a difficult, scary thing from what I understand. And, and once you get that, you probably want to step away, find somewhere to hide or get on solid ground that's not shaking. They're probably shaking with fear. They, they kept their distance. According to one, uh, one commentator, the far off means in Hebrew, a far uh, at a distance, or usually means far away. We can't say with certainty how far they went, but evidently they were standing back. The response to the lightnings and the thunders. By the way, when you see lightning and thunder, you're going to try to get undercover, get away from that. It just stands to reason. And so they're standing. There was some alarm. They kept their distance. 
if you would. So there's the separating. They're separating from the mount a little bit. And then there's the seeking in 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou unto us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. That's a pretty profound statement when you think about that. They're willing to hear from Moses, but not necessarily from God. The word speaks imperative. Speak thou imperative. Please, Moses, you speak. Doubly emphatic by the pronoun there. The promise is they will hear if you speak. We'll do that. The idea of listening is not just to hear what Moses says, but to obey. Speak and tell me. I want to fix this problem. Or we might say to someone, tell me what to do here. And, and, and sometimes I'll ask questions from some of you. I say, now how do I fix this problem? Or, or mostly Mark got on this week. I, this computer, how do I get what kind of virus scan? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? And the monitor, how do I do this? And all these different things. And so we ask questions for an answer. But, and when he, or he would say, I follow most of his directives, except for some. Well, we, I would listen. If you're going to ask someone a question, then listen. If it's, and it sounds reasonable, perhaps you need to do that. Perhaps you need to do that. Though they had discovered that God speaks uh, with man, and yet man lives, they felt that they, that they were so much in the flesh, as this one Keel and Dietrich commentary, that they were powerless, they were frail, they were alienated from, by sin from a holy God. I wish we as a people would feel alienated from sin by saying from the holy God that he is. They listen any longer to the voice of God. They fear they might die. Now remember Old Testament times. If you saw God in the mindset, you're dead. I mean, that's as if, if you see God, you're probably going to die. Or maybe even an angel probably going to die. That was, that was the reverential fear they had of God. Who can see God and live? One commentary suggests this explanation is because of the presence of pure holiness, the people perceived such was the gap between them and their holy God that they feared they were not fit to live in his presence. By the way, you and I can't stand in his presence as you are now. If God brought us up to heaven without having our sins forgiven, we would be of all, we would just be, his holiness is going to just, would just, I think, melt us and it would just be cease as a person, if you would, or our bodies would melt, and the holiness of God without the protective covering of Christ's blood. And so we, we, we often forget, don't even think about, don't even fathom how God is and who he is and his holiness. I like Oswald Chambers from his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says these words, and I thought they're quite thought-provoking. Quoting now, We do not consciously disobey God. We simply do not heed him. God has given us commands. There, that, there they are, but we do not pay any attention to them, not because of willful disobedience, but because we do not love and respect him. If you love me, keep my commandments. When once we realize that we have been disrespecting God all the time, we are covered with shame and humiliation because we have not heeded him. In verse 19, he says, Speak thou with us, but not let not God speak with us. He says, we show how little we love God by preferring to listen to his servants only. We like to listen to personal testimonies, but we do not desire that God himself should speak to us. Why are we so terrified lest God should speak to us? Because we know that if God does speak, either the thing must be done or he must tell God that we will not obey him. We're happy if the servant speaks because maybe perhaps he might say something and that might be a good idea and it's probably even God's truth. But if it says it in the Bible and God says it clearly, then I've either got to obey or tell him we're not going to obey you. 
So let's hear from the servant. And he closes with by saying this. He says, am I putting God in the humiliating position of having treated me as a child of his while at the same time I have been ignoring him? When I do hear him, the humiliation I have put on him comes back on me. Lord, why was I so dull and so obstinate? This is always the result when once we do hear God, the real delight of hearing him is tempered with shame and having been so long in hearing him. End of quote. I put a big O-U-C-H by that. Ouch. He's right to the point. We, we, we want, do we really want to do what God wants us to do? And that's what I want you to mull over in your mind. Not mulling over perhaps all the work you've got to do this week, what's on tap for tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, what you're going to eat when you get home, blah, blah, blah. How have I responded to the commands of God? How have I responded? There was a separation, the seeking, and in 20, there's the speaking. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. Now, this first fear, fear not. Now, that would be that shaking kind of fear. Don't let that consume you. The second fear is that reverential fear. And why did he come? To prove. text says to prove, to test. What is a test? A procedure for critical evaluation. A means of determining the presence, quality, or truth of something. A series of questions, problems, or physical responses designed to determine knowledge, intelligence, or ability. A basis for evaluation or judgment. We all have tests. I remember I failed. The ones I test, I remember the most are the ones I failed. Failed my bus test the first time. And the reason I passed my driver's test the first time down in McGoffin County, I didn't have to parallel park. So I passed my car driver's test the first time. I failed this. I did that. I remember the test, too. When we were first married, I had to take a huge uh, music history exam to get entered and uh, enrolled in the University of Louisville Master Music Program. Took the test, passed that test, and then I had to go before three of their piano teachers and do a 15-minute concert from memory just to get into the program. And I did that, and then I got approved to start my master's degree at Louisville, and then Ian came along. And so there we go. Stop that. I remember the tests of life. That's why he did this. Fear not, for God has come to prove you, to test you, to see if you're going to be obedient. Two types of fear. There's the tormenting fear, and then there is the reverential fear. To prove means the first purpose God has here to uh, uh, making it really this uh, for them to show that somebody what they're really like, and generally involves some difficulty or hardship. We're going to find that Job goes through a severe test here uh, the next couple of weeks, starting out. God was now testing them at Mount Sinai. He was testing whether they would be faithful to Him or not. These ten commandments that He has just given. To them, chapter 20, 1 through 17, are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? Are you going to do what I've told you to do? Are you going to, whether the test was good was based on who is giving it. God does not tempt us to sin. God tests us really so we'll really see what's on the inside of us. He knows. He tests us to see if we're going to be faithful. Am I going to rely on God? Or am I going to try to do it on my own? Are we going to trust God that he knows what is best? My wife and I are going to, as you well know, and you pray for this, regarding her voice. I do not know why my wife loves to sing. I like to hear her sing, love to hear her sing. We sing together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why has this happened to where she can no longer sing? I mean, why is her throat, we know why it got sore, 
well, why hasn't God healed her yet? You know, it's like, you know, why is that happening? And so are we going to trust him if, if she never, and she's come to the conclusion that if she never sings again, that's what God wants for her. Now, I'm not, I really hope that's not what God, I hope God wants something else to where she can be healed and sing again. We have to, but this, it comes to the time where, are you trusting God or not? Are you trusting God or not? We are. God tests us that we might see really what's inside of us. Satan tempts us. The intent is to get us to sin. God's not getting us to sin. He wants us to trust him. That's why he tests us. Satan wants us to get us to fall. And are they going to pass the test? Moses said in verse 20, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, to test you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. The second purpose is to have that reverential fear. Reverential fear. Now, I, I, got, I forgot to bring it, but this is a, you have to put your uh, uh, imaginary mind on, this is a flower sifter. So, flower sifter, is, is, it has a bottle of no, There's a, some spot up here, there's a, a screen halfway through here, so I, I dump my flower in here, and I start, and I make it get real fine. This is, this is, if we think about what God wants from us, if we put what, who God is and the commands he's given us, and that's the screen inside. And so all the things we want to do, we dump them in here, and we start, shh, and what falls out are going to be only those things that he would be okay with us doing, and everything else up here, we throw it out, because it doesn't go through the screen of his holiness, and down here, praise the Lord, these are things I can do in his permissive will, etc. Up here, though, there's a lot of things that I was doing perhaps that, well, you know what? The chat, double mount. If we would take, I, I, I really I wanted to bring that sifter, she forgot that. If we would take that each day, the things I'm reading, the things I'm saying, the way I'm acting, the way Pastor Tim's driving, and you're driving, uh, there. And uh, my wife was saying something this week about driving so... I, and I said, imagine if so-and-so was, had been behind that little real slow driver. And, you know, so it should have been pointing at me. But there we go. Put that stuff in there, and if it will change our lives, if we'll think about the commands God has given us through the sifter. Can you, even, can you name them with me? What's the very first command of the ten without looking? No other gods. What's the second one? No graven images. What's the third one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What's the fourth one? Sabbath day. What's the fifth one? Honor thy father and mother. Number six. Thou shalt not kill. Seven. Thou shalt not commit. Eight. Thou shalt not steal. Nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And ten. Thou shalt not covet. If we're, honestly, if, if I'm struggling to name the ten, I'm not thinking about them very much. I'm just saying. If we're thinking about what God has told us to do, we need to let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what am I meditating on? What are we? I'm meditating on, thinking about just this morning how the cat kicked over that fountain and I was so irritated at him. That's not what I should be meditating on. I should be meditating on God's goodness. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
That should be it. And I'm thinking about what does God approve of what I'm saying? Does God approve of what I'm preaching this very moment? Am I obeying the commands he's given to us? I trust that we are. And that's where Israel is, the response to the commands. It's like a, a loving father says to his small child, under no circumstances, Tim, are you to go out into that busy street. He's not giving a command to take away their fun. He's saying it for protection. And that's what the commands are. I love the phrase, help yourself to some happiness. That's what it is. Adrian Rogers coined that phrase. The commands are, help yourself to some happiness. You want peace of God. You have peace with God. You want the peace of God. Obey what he said. Obey what he said. In our natural state, says John Currid, we all stand quaking at the foot of Mount Sinai. Although we were not there with the Israelites... The fact is that each of us stands condemned of living and being in disobedience to the Creator. In our unregenerate state, we stand guilty as charged. That is a verdict. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And that ought to make us tremble in fear for our lives. We would be living in fear if we were not saved by God's grace. I'm telling you, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you should be in fear and trembling. You should literally be, you've heard the stories of people, uh, an invitation time, they grab the pews because they're so, they don't want to go and they're so, they're so, the Holy Spirit just convicts them so much. If the Spirit's convicting you even slightly, you need to respond, Christian. Respond to that. Not only are the people, secondly, there's the provision starting in 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And 40 years later, Moses reviews this in the book of Deuteronomy, reviews the law for the new generation, reminding them that their ancestors had seen manifestations of God's glory, had heard his words, but it says there in Deuteronomy 4.15, For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. God did not reveal himself in visual form to the Israelites. Why not? Can you just imagine? They see some picture. Oh, did you see what God looked like? And let's get my, stoke up the fire. Let's get the metal hop. And we're going to make us an idol look just like what we saw there on Mount Sinai. You see what happened immediately? That's why he says, make no other, no other gods before me. And make unto thee no graven images, Period. Isaiah said, to whom will I li- ye liken God, or what likeness will you compare him to, unto him? Excuse me. Can you imagine can, a human being taking a, now it's an idol, taking an idol and, and making this in the shape of God. God who is throughout the entire universe. And you're going to take, as a human being, some metal and form a picture, image of whatever, And that's God? Wow, what a small God you have. My God is omniscient, all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is everywhere at once. He's controlling all things by the word of his power. That's my God. You haven't seen him. I have I've not seen even Jesus yet, but I believe it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I believe it by faith that Jesus came, lived, and, and was buried and was raised again. I believe that by faith. And someday my faith, as Squire Parsons says, my faith will become sight. It will. 
Jews were called to be a people of the word. The success of the nation depended upon hearing God's word, believing it, and obeying it. I would say the success of America has been upon hearing God's word, believing it, and you may not have agreed with it, but you basically obeyed it. But we have put that aside now. We've been teaching our children for two or three generations now in our colleges that they just, just and you wonder why we are where, I don't have any wonder at all why we are in the mess we're in, because we jettison the principles of God and his word. It's not that important. What you believe is just as important as what I believe. We're all going to get to heaven together, blah, blah, blah. There's that universalism thing or annihilationism. We're just going to cease to exist. Or we're going to be like uh, the uh, Brahman. We maybe go into the Brahman class if you're an Indian, etc. And then eventually go into the cosmic good. What a discouraging thing that is. Can you imagine living and coming back and coming back and coming back and finally you're going to go into, into nothingness? I want to fish. I really want to fish on the new earth. I really want to have time to do that. I've not fished for two years, I think. It's just far too long between fishing times. And I, 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 I want to, do you not want to live your life and live in eternity and, and serve the Lord? I'm hoping I'm going to be like the overseer of a large lake that has so many bass in it. You can sing to them and they'll just come up and bite your hook and, and you pull them out and throw them back in. And the next time you catch them, they're like a pound bigger. And well, it's, it's not impossible. But pastor, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord however it is he wants us to serve. And I will be happy doing that. Isn't that amazing? When you get to heaven, but your grumbler's gone. You have a grumbler. If you say no, I'm going to doubt your honesty. <clears throat> I have a grumbler. It comes out especially around those three things, that four legs that run around our house. and tear, like, uh, It especially comes out around them. God spoke to the people, but he did not reveal himself in a visual sense. But they were to obey the word. Have you, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. He came down to the mountain, but ultimately he spoke from heaven. And don't misunderstand the word seen there does not mean they actually saw God face to face. Now Moses was in the presence of God. And he shone so brightly he had to put a veil on him, if you, under, you know that. But, but typically, he's not going to show himself. He doesn't show himself like that. We know that Christ came as theophany, Christophany in Old Testament time. And then he came in 3D. He became poor that we might become rich. That was our Christ. The God's word and the worship in 23 and 4. Ye shall not make unto me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto me gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thy oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. They were not to manufacture idols, nor were they to build some kind of elaborate altar that had all kinds of these men workmanship created all over it. They were to worship God, and he was to be the focal point of the worship. Based on the revelation of the holy sovereignty of God, this directive instructs Israel on the form of proper worship. God has chosen how he wants to be worshipped. God wants, gives us directives from the word that regarding our music, regarding our actions, regarding our posture. Worship means that we really are prostrate in front of someone kneeling down. And that's what worship is. When John fell at his feet of the angel, or this person fell at the feet, or they fall down, that's what worship is. It is not dancing and raising your hands and all that. And 
I know you can worship, I'm just saying, this, this idea that we can jump up and down and woohoo, look at me and all kinds of physical. Listen, if the physical comes in, the spiritual likely goes out. You know, you can't, it's, it's spirit and truth. We, when our music should be ringing and like harmonizing with our spirit. Not, now, sometimes our foot wants to start tapping, but it's this, you see, our music should appeal not to our flesh, but to our spirit. Well, they failed, but already in Numbers, in Exodus 32, if you want to turn over there for just a minute, Exodus 32, remember they weren't supposed to do anything like making gods or gold and silver, or any kind of thing. In Exodus 32, they've already forgotten this. You know the story. We'll just read a couple of verses, four verses. Exodus 32, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered them together unto God and said unto Aaron, I'm sorry, said unto Aaron and said unto him, Aaron, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want, know not what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, stop it right now. Don't you know this is the wrong thing? Have we not just agreed to whatever God says we're going to do? Just stop this wrong thing. Just go home and cool your jets or camels, whatever it was. No. Aaron says, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in the ears and brought them unto Aaron and he received them into their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool after he had made it a molten calf. They said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Talk about disrespect. The, the, these are the same people we just are reading about in chapter 20 and chapter 19, whatever God says we're going to do, and they've heard the Ten Commandments and, and let Moses speak, but we're, we're willing to do that. Are you really? Christian, are you really obeying what God has said to do? Are you really willing to be what he wants you to be? Their response at first was emotional, yes, but as life and time went on, it was no. We're going to do our own way. God's work word their worship and finally their work in 25 back over to our text in 2025 and if thou wilt make an altar of stone thou shalt not build it of hewn stone for if thou lift up thy tool upon it thou hast polluted it the word altar there comes from the latin word which means high or elevated but when the jews the word for the altar for the jews meant the sense of sacrifice or killing or coming from a hebrew word mean to kill so an altar of earth in opposition to the costly shrines of building an altar and offering some kind of uh, of a sacrifice on that it's supposed to be simple now if you go to an altar that someone has made and got all these clever designs who are you going to really be thinking about the God they're worshiping are this. Wow, look at, the, look at the scroll work on that altar. My goodness, someone's probably spent years hammering in there. What an altar that is. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to worship God as he has said. And so that's why a simple earthen altar, not some kind of extravagant thing. I like what Spurgeon says. God's altar was to be built of unhewn stones. No, that no trace of human skill or labor might be seen upon it. Human wisdom delights to trim and arrange the doctrines of the cross into a system more artificial and more congenial with the depraved taste of fallen nature. Instead, however, of improving the gospel, carnal wisdom pollutes it until it becomes another gospel and not the truth of God at all. All alterations and amendments to the Lord's own word are defilements and pollutions 
The proud heart of man is very anxious to have a hand in the justification of the soul before God. End of quote. We saw that this morning. I don't want to believe in a real hell, so I'm going to find up some, find some contingency, universalism or annihilationism, or simply that a loving God could not have a hell where he sends those who are lost. Those who are lost, you, have a, it's, you make the choice to go. Here in America, you've been so blessed to hear the gospel over and over. People are, I had no, you can't say I had no idea. No, you rejected You made a decision to go. The boat's going, but there's a life preserver. It's the Son of God. The boat is going to Christ's eternity, but they're offered on every turn. There are lifeboats. If you'll simply humble yourself, repent of your sin, ask Jesus to forgive your sin and to be your Lord and Savior with all sincerity and in truth and by grace through faith, ask Him into your heart and life and you get on the boat that's not going to Christ's eternity. We're going to be in Him forever. And 26. Neither shalt thou go up by steps into thine altar that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Now in that era, as you well know, it was a... I almost want to say it's sort of like the United States in that era. But, but the, the priests of the pagan cults often directed their worship totally unclothed. Hebrew religion then requires modesty in the worship of Yahweh. The Sinaitic law obliged the priests to be appropriately adored in Exodus 28, 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. So when they had to go up a steps of the altar, none of their legs showed... That's good for them. It wasn't women. It was the men. No nakedness. And secondly, the law prohibits the inclusive of any immoral elements in worship. The Canaanite cults were very popular. Why? Because they had prostitutes that was part of the religion. Go to Corinth. Read about Corinth. The degenerate Corinth. To be a Corinthian means you were immoral. And they had the same kind of thing. The prostitutes would come off the hill uh, every night and they would invade the city of Corinth and they would have, and that's how you worship their God, by being immoral with the temple prostitutes. And it worked out, I'm sure, financially, everything. Oh, I like this religion. Especially the men, I imagine, like that religion. God said it's not to be a part of worshiping me. Nakedness, immorality with temporal prostitutes were part of many religions, but they were not to be part of the Jewish worship of God. And by the way, they still should not be. We understand that. In spite of the enthusiastic promises, Israel quickly disobeyed God's commands. Oh, whatever the Lord says, we're going to do. Yes. And then 3,000 men lost their lives a little bit later because of the idolatrous. Oh, we, we just threw the gold in the fire and oh, out came a calf, Moses. And what were we to do? And uh, Oh, I bet he was spitting nails. Aaron, I'm just reading between the lines there. Wow. And what did Moses do? He burned it down and, and then spread it on the, on the water and made him drink it. Now, whose God are you serving now? What has been your response? What will be your response to the commands? I'm just again from that little bit of that tozer and we'll pray. We show how little we love God by preferring to listen to a servant only. We like to listen to personal testimonies, but we do not desire that God himself should speak to us 
Why are we so terrified God should speak to us? Because we know that if God does speak, either the thing must be done, or we must tell God that we will not obey. He's a loving God, but he also is a God that deserves our deepest reverence, respect, and obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Trust your obedience. Let's pray together. Lord, the commands we've gone over the last several weeks, and as we sort of pause our study of Exodus for a while now, what is going to be my response? Am I going to meditate upon the commands? Can I even name them in order? Lord, help us to meditate upon your word, not just the commands, but also the good things, yes. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The verses we have in memory, Lord, they are priceless. May we be about your business. May we be serving. May we be studying. May we be growing. And may our church family, may we have a, a good, positive, lighthouse effect on our communities and our workplaces. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.